the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, May 22nd, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. Got David Dahl at the uh, producer's desk, as is his want. Got Bill to my right behind the bulletproof glass, double glassed bulletproof separator. I hate what our civil rights establishment is doing to this country. And in saying that, let me underscore, I'm not saying I hate civil rights. I'm probably more motivated by their attachment and enforcement in our society than almost any other issue and have been since before I was old enough to vote. I am no more opposed to Republican forms of government or democracy just because I hate what the establishment or parts of the establishment erected to guard Republicanism and democracy are doing. What I am is opposed to the perversion of civil rights as undertaken by establishment so-called civil rights organizations, just as I am opposed to the establishment and perversions of republicanism and democracy with those leaderships. Quoting from CNN, the NAACP issued a travel advisory for Florida, quote, in direct response to Governor Ron DeSantis's aggressive attempts to erase black history and to restrict diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in Florida schools. Beware that your life is not valued, NAACP President and CEO Derek Johnson told CNN on Monday. Beware that your life is not valued. Travel advisory to Florida. That's strong language. Your life is not valued. You are unsafe in Florida. What is this, 1964 Mississippi with James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner? Is Ron DeSantis standing in front of schoolhouse doors like Democrat George Wallace in Alabama, preventing blacks from attending school? Or is the NAACP overhyping for fundraising and political purposes one of the most well-governed and integrated states in the country because it opposes, A, the Republican Party, and B, the refusal to introduce critical race theory, that is, Marxist teaching, to the state's students. Yes, it's really A and B. Florida, for what it's worth, has more African-American residents than New York State, for goodness sakes, and more African-American members in its congressional delegation than Pennsylvania or Virginia or California a state with a 70% higher population than Florida. Last week, we spoke about the need to protect certain words, words like victim, words like racism, words with especially powerful and poignant import and meaning, words that lose their poignancy and import by overuse, by inflating them to cover and stand for little more than things we just disagree with. We ruin not only words we devalue them and the import of them. And through such syntactical saturation, we destroy the concern 
we are supposed to or expected to show when real victims or real racists require our attention. The NAACP has now done just that, again, over political and extremist peak. I suppose when you can't engender enough opposition or anger over common sense policies like keeping Marxist indoctrination out of our schools, you run to extremist language. But we've seemingly forgotten our ASOP. You can cry wolf and scare people only so many times over the will of the wisp, trying to whip up a frenzy over the otherwise normal and calm. But then having diminished the import of what should otherwise and normally be of concern or fright, you have numbed people for the real thing when it does come. And just remember the most important lesson from Aesop here. At the end, there really was a wolf. And nobody cared anymore. It seems to me this notion of preventing Marxist theory in our schools and distorting American history for political purposes would be opposed by civil rights organizations. Just how well do minorities do in Marxist societies after all? I suppose you could have asked the Cossacks or other Christians or Jews about that in the Soviet Union, or you can ask the Muslims or Christians in China, or try quoting Che Guevara on black people or Afro-Cubans, or for that matter, homosexuals. Che Guevara being such the hero of our modern youth here, they have no idea his racism trumps anything indictable about any single American leader of this or the last century. But Florida, Florida gets the NAACP's ire. The perversion of civil rights for political purposes in our times has run us down a terribly noxious and perilous road, a road that was meant to be destroyed, not built, not strengthened, not lengthened, not widened, not expanded. When the NAACP was founded in 1911, its charter stated the purpose of its organization was, quote, to promote equality of rights and eradicate caste or race prejudice among citizens of the United States, close quote. Critical race theory does exactly the opposite. In fact, it supports discrimination and prejudice. Perhaps the most prominent critical race theorist in our country, Professor Ibrahim Kendi, wrote in his landmark book, quote, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. Close quote. Now, we're getting much closer to George Wallace's Alabama, aren't we? For it was in his inaugural speech as governor in 1963 that he famously stated, quote, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, close quote. This was months before he tried to block black students from entering the University of Alabama in violation of desegregation decisions resultant from the Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court decision the the decade prior. Brown versus Board was litigated, argued and won by the NAACP. Ironically enough, and its lead counsel was Thurgood Marshall. It was in his argument to the Supreme Court that Thurgood Marshall said, quote, distinctions by race are so evil, so arbitrary and so invidious that a state bound to defend the equal protection of the laws must not invoke them in any public sphere. Close quote. That's what DeSantis believes. It's what I believe. 
It's not the view of the critical race theorists. They will argue instead, as Kendi, Ibram Kendi and others argue, that colorblindness, taking race out of any equation, is itself a racist act as it ignores or turns one blind to color, which should in fact matter to them. Civil rights and the old NAACP top people were not different qualitatively or in any other respect because of the color of their skin. Today's industry teaches just the opposite. I, for one, despise that concept of thought, just as I despised the Nuremberg Laws when I first read about them. You must understand, after all, here, now, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength, and war is peace. But ignorance is not strength, and it has been the lifelong effort of true and real racists to keep minorities from success by depriving them of education or educational excellence. Frederick Douglass knew this as much as Thurgood Marshall did, which is why breaking down segregation and revisionist textbooks are of the same piece. It does no person any more than it does no group any favor to miseducate, to propagandize. This is why the whole effort at civil rights in America centered around good and solid education and equal schools and education opportunities for everyone, especially those who were subject to past discrimination. See, for example, the Rosenwald schools or, again, the Brown versus Board of Education decision, a decision held in the highest esteem by liberals in America, but only evidently in its form and not its substance. For to hold up the Brown versus Board substance would be to know the difference between real anti-racism and newfangled, propagandized, Orwellian, and politicalized anti-racism, which is just atavistic racism all over again, a la George Wallace. As the unanimous Supreme Court put it in the Brown decision, education was the whole beginning of civil rights, and not just education, but good education, as they wrote, quote, it is doubtful that any child may reasonably be expected to succeed in life if he is denied the opportunity of a good education, close quote. And the effort to pretend that access to separate and less well-staffed and supported schools available to minorities was anything like equality was deemed a fiction, which was to say that a poor education was a fiction, a shadow of an education, and the shadow of civil rights. The cruddy teaching foisted upon Florida and other states by the Marxist indoctrinators and historical revisionists in the education profession, the kind of teaching DeSantis said no to, is not a reversal of civil rights. It's a compliment to them, at least if your view of civil rights means a good non-doctrinaire, non-racially infused curriculum that does not pit child against child with a distortion of what our history actually was. Sometimes you'd almost have to wonder how it is any of us ever learned about racism and past discrimination in America, given the push by the critical race theorists. We learned about it, of course we did, from serious study and serious textbooks and an unvarnished set of scholars and scholarship. We learned about it, of course, by being encouraged to study the founding as it really was, to read Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln and fall in love with them. It wasn't we who took all that away. It wasn't we who said no more teaching of Western civilization and its arc of wars and pieces and slaveries and emancipations and imprisonments and freedoms. Wasn't we who removed the study of Frederick Douglass and taught that Abraham Lincoln didn't free the slaves? 
wasn't we who tried to elevate the Confederate cause to a victor rather than a loser? Wasn't we who elevated Malcolm X and took away Thurgood Marshall? Wasn't we who elevated Che Guevara and took away Martin Luther King? Wasn't we who presided over an attachment to a system which has destroyed the education achievements of decades past in both minority and majority communities? And it isn't we or anyone else who said Florida is unsafe to travel to and devalues blacks or other minorities' lives. You want a travel advisory for the devaluation of life? Maybe look to Chicago. You want an advisory on what civil rights is? Give me back the old NAACP. Shame on those who exploit race for politics and shame on those who encourage fear and anxiety in vulnerable populations for political purposes. I mean that. This is shameful. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I am Seth. Why do you look so guilty? That is a guilty look, David. Did you do something wrong? You making fun of my face? You did something wrong, didn't you? I don't think so. Oh, uh, we'll find it. Did you do something wrong? Maybe. Falsely accusing you. (laughs) Possibly. I I thought you did something. There was a weird noise, and then I looked at you, and your face was like a white ghost. You're going to deny it. All right. We need two witnesses to convict you. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. I, I hope it wasn't me when I called in uh, to talk to Dave. Oh, no. You're, 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 you're innocent. <laughs> oh, good. Um, the, the NAACP thing. I, I'm kind of like, I, I'm, I, I, with, when it comes to David, I'm bring me the man and I'll show you the crime kind of guy. Oh, there. Oh, okay. Yeah, so just, just, so, Le, just so it's out, all out Maria there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, Mr. Berea. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm my my initial thought with the NAACP and their con, uh, their uh, you know warning about Florida. It's almost that they reek of desperation for relevancy, um, and and maybe that's a good thing. Obviously, they're not what they used to be, um, and they haven't been for quite a long time. And I don't honestly know how many people still really listen to them. But, I mean, again, as you pointed out, uh, warning black people to go to Florida is, is absolutely absurd. Not, to, not to go to Florida, they, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they'd be safer there uh, than, you know, Chicago, Philadelphia, yeah. uh, St. Louis. Yeah, the, yeah, you know, absolutely. New York. And Baltimore, but, uh, yeah, the headquarters of the you know, NAACP, and, yeah. And the reason I think about the, the reeking of desperation part is because maybe, and this is sort of an optimistic viewpoint that maybe more blacks are starting to get it that they're not being represented well by organizations like that and because of that uh the naacp has to come up with the same sort of uh, you know strategery if you will that that the uh, democrat party does they they lie and they mislead and as a result uh they're trying to maintain relevancy and they're probably failing and I don't feel bad about it if they were only on the right track because I don't know what they've really specifically done to advance, uh, you know, the colored people in their initials uh, in, you know, 30 or 40 years. And uh, so maybe they're just kind of the last gasp of a dying organization. 
Well, um, I would love it if they would change their name, obviously, for one, because, yeah. because yes, that is obviously a uh, an anachronism. Uh, the the yeah. letter C in their name is an anachronism. And, you know, they're probably no sooner going to hire me to advise them uh, than they are to hire you, Rob. But my advice yeah. would be if they want to revive themselves and make themselves not only relevant but more importantly morally credible – then they could easily have a major announcement where they are changing their name. Other organizations have changed their names, God knows, sure. and and say, and we are going to, in the change of our name, respect that we have achieved what we set out to do in 1911, so much so that we are going to go back to the practices and principles of 1911, which is a non-discriminatory ethos that led to and concluded with the wonderful didn't conclude that led to the wonderful victory of Brown versus Board, where we see people as people and not people as 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 differentiated and differentiationable by the color of their skin or their ethnic background. For that to us shouldn't be part of our nation, which is the first word in our organization. I mean, that would yeah. be the way to do it, I would think. But they're not going to do I it. They're so far off the mark here. I mean, did you? Yeah. I mean, when you think about the problems in this country, why, why is Jordan Neely getting the single most recognizable civil rights preacher, speaker, spokesman at his funeral, Al Sharpton? What about Jordan Neely's death? You know, this was the subway... Um, uh, right, right, uh, right. Su- subway, uh, whatever, sub- subway decedent. What, what, subway what about his? What about him? Was a civil rights cause celeb? Nothing, zero, yeah. zero. The yeah. guy was a mentally disturbed person who deserved to be a patient. And yeah. now Al Sharpton cares about him. Why? Because it's exploitable. That's why. That's the only reason well, why. It's a. It's a shame. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, people did way, real good Sharpton. civil rights work. People do real good civil rights work, and 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 oh, yeah. and it's it's desecrated. It's desecrated by the heroism they make of criminals. Yeah, and it and it shows the true colors, if you will. <laughs> maybe um, I yeah just, I mean, I mean maybe it shows the true it shows the true carelessness of the kind of cause we were brought up. You were educated in, and I was educated to believe was a serious cause. In the education, oh, yeah. they say, by the way, that's interestingly attendant to that point. These are the kinds of the kinds of education you and I had growing up. We were brought to a serious moral conscientiousness of this cause. It's the very education they want to get rid of. That's right, and and it, we learned and we benefited. Of course, we and did. I think they benefited. Of course, and yet it's going backwards. It is again. going backwards. It is going you backwards. Know? That's exactly right. Yeah, it's sad. Um, it's sad because a lot is. of blood was it, spilt and a lot of work was done. Exactly right. Well, anyway, that's anyway, my thank sense. you. And I appreciate uh, it. Have Rob. a great show. You do the you, you do the same. Thank you, Rob. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski is the founder and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. It's a great website, great way to reach out to him. He also has his own radio show here on 960 every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. It's the Word on Wealth. How are you, John? Fantastic. I love Mary Tyler Moore. Don't you, though? Oh, my gosh. And uh, that theme song, we've mm-hmm. talked a little—have we talked about it? That I theme song is a great one. It was written 
uh, by uh, Buddy Holly's drummer. He was one of the crickets oh, singing wow. and performing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Fabulous song. Um, anyway, thanks for being with us. Uh, mm-hmm. We have, what, a lot of debates going on. Biden and McCarthy, we're told, are cautiously optimistic, mm-hmm. which is a little bit putting off what we thought was supposed to be a deal on Friday. At least that's what they were touting. I, I, you know, I, they're meeting now. I, I didn't yeah. hear. Did they finish their meeting? I, I, well, I think they're still going on. Still going and, on, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's going to... I think Joe Biden made it tough when he called it, uh, the Republicans' proposal extreme over right. the weekend. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a tough thing to to do when you're trying to negotiate with someone who all they want to do is put spending back b- by about a year. But he did say, you know, they're going to have to negotiate. I don't know if he said two, but they're going to have you know, to negotiate, which means, hey, we're willing to negotiate as well. I'm reading into that, too. Yeah, so right. So hopefully both sides are going to be— uh, you know, getting somewhere. Yeah, I hope so. My sense is the Democrats are going to say we want to cap spending in future years and that will be yeah. their negotiation uh, strategy. But, I, you know, it's it's not enough. I mean, this we're, we're in an unsustainable position as and we probably need a new word for other than unsustainable. Yeah. We've probably overused it. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've probably overused it. But it does lead to a big problem. I yeah. mean, that does hit Americans where they where they live. Uh, as you well know, um, particularly when it comes to inflation, there's a story. Did you, I don't know if you yeah. saw this. Did mm-hmm. you, you, Wall Street Journal. Yeah, right there at the top of the economy page. Yeah. Inflation hit Americans last year harder than prob- probably most people expected. Uh the share of adults who reported being worse off financially than a year prior climbed to 35 percent, the highest on record going back to 2014 when right. they first started asking. And they said overall 73 percent yeah. of adults said they were either doing OK or living comfortable down, though, now from 78. Right. So uh, it, it, it the trend is obviously, you know, going the wrong direction. And and for those who had felt confident about their savings that they had, you know, going uh, into t- 2022, uh, that that has changed as well because they're spending more of their retirement, uh, and that's that's obviously a problem because as um, you get closer and closer to retirement, uh, people are going to try to figure out ways to save more. But if inflation is still here, that's not going to um, you know allow them to do so. If anything, they're spending that savings. And Seth, you know, with the market the way it is right now, the stock market's been very volatile. Yeah. So for those out there who are planning on retiring maybe last year or this year. Uh, they probably have changed their minds now. Yeah. And the hope is is that they don't lose their job and they're forced into retirement right now as layoffs are continuing. That's a great point, too. Now, today was a decent day as they go, right? It was a mixed day today. Okay. We're still on the market, you mean? There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. On the Standard still, & Poor and NASDAQ, at least. Yeah, Standard Standard S&P 500 was basically flat. The yeah. NASDAQ was up a little bit, but uh, the Dow is down. Um, and again, it's all... You know, predicated on um, whether or not the the Fed's going to come right. up with this um, this uh, deal or not. Right. I'm uh, not the Fed, but um, the Congress. The Congress, yeah. Uh, if they don't, uh, I, I, there's going to be a lot of turmoil, and um, I have confidence that they will get a deal done. Uh, but boy, they're certainly going to be pushing the limits on this, and they're going to be sending the markets, uh, you know, into a very volatile period of time over the next week, possibly two weeks, as maybe some have said now the dead, drop-dead uh, date is January or June 15th. Yeah. So I don't know if it's if it really is or not, but Janet Yellen has been talking about June, but she really never said a date, but 
now I hear it could be as as you know as out out there as far as June fifteenth. Well, you know, we need to start also having this conversation about the notion of how much money we've taken in versus mm-hmm. what we have not yet spent, because we could certainly cover it as needed, if needed. I mean, it's we certainly have the revenues to cover this yep. stuff as needed. Well, they're spending money on water, too. I don't know if you... Uh, that yeah, you want to pick up on that a little bit tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, we can. Okay. Sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. The Southwest states strike landmark deal with Biden to conserve Colorado River water. But it's in exchange for... It's uh, at a cost. Yeah, $1.2 billion in federal spending. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thank you, John, <laughs> as always. You bet. Securities and Advisory Services are to Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finra and Sipic, and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Plenty, Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Talk well, tomorrow, sir. Bless you, John. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Um, Tim Scott is in the race now, uh, formally, and we're told that uh, Ron DeSantis is going to make an announcement this week. And, of course, the heat between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis is increasing. One interesting thing, I mean, watching this stuff, will. Um, by the way, happy to take your calls on this and any thoughts you have on it. One of the interesting things here, if you watch and try and read some of the tea leaves, is who's shopping who for possible vice presidencies. So Donald Trump sent out a piece on social media today praising Tim Scott for entering the race. And then he slammed Ron DeSantis, unlike Ron DeSantis, da 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 uh, so, you know, interesting people are talking a lot about, and I've heard other talk show hosts talking a lot about, you know, their dream ticket would be Trump DeSantis. Uh, it's not going to happen is, is, is my assessment. Um, and it, it's not possibly going to happen because I don't think if you're Ron DeSantis, the calculation makes a lot of sense. You have two more years to be governor and you probably are too big at this point to subsume yourself into Donald Trump's orbit or making Donald Trump the primary and you the secondary. I just don't see it happening. And, 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 and I don't see Donald Trump you know, reversing everything he said about him uh, over the last several months. So I think we've got to start thinking about if Donald Trump's the nominee, who is he going to pick? And if Ron DeSantis is the nominee, who he's going to pick? Uh, and you get a sense of these things by who, who they complement and who they don't complement. For example, uh, Donald Trump is, um, is complimenting uh, Tim Scott and certainly not Ron DeSantis. So Tim Scott might be on the short list for a Donald Trump candidacy. By the way, should Donald Trump earn the nomination— Tim, you could do worse than Tim Scott. Tim Scott would be a great number two to Donald Trump, I think. I think it would say a lot great for the Republican Party. I think it would be a great, a great, um, a great, uh, it would be a strong ticket. Let me put it that way. It would be a strong ticket. I don't know about a great ticket. It would be a strong ticket. Uh, Second to that, um, there are other candidates that I think would be good for either Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump. I think Vivek Ramaswamy would be an amazingly good candidate. And I think that it's also possible it might not be DeSantis or Trump. You just never know. It's very early on. You know, you look at where polling was at 
this spot in races previously, and you had people like Mike Huckabee and Rudy Giuliani and others far and away. Here's an interesting thing for those who were inclined towards DeSantis. Trump is monumentally ahead of him. I mean, it is monumental. It's unprecedented um, to have a candidate like Ron DeSantis, who is so highly spoken of and who so many have their hopes in, vested in, uh, being so far behind. I mean, uh, a Harvard-Harris poll has Trump over DeSantis by 42 points. Um, in New Hampshire, now people will say, you know, that these are national polls and, and they don't matter as much. They matter a little bit. They matter a little bit. They give you a sense of, of what people are thinking. It's it's not a lot better in some of the individual races, uh, excuse me, in some of the state races. I mean, you're still seeing Trump beating DeSantis by double digits. So something is going to have to give if um, Trump is not going to be the nominee. Uh, and and it makes one wonder, is, is all the other campaigning at this point, um, is all the other campaigning at this point in vain? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's something I'm happy to take your calls on and would love to hear from you on. 602-508-0960 is the number. Megan McCain, speaking of names that <laughs> strike ire, <laughs> Megan McCain um, has a hell of a good column in the Daily Mail about Brittany Griner and Brittany Griner finally willing to stand up and participate in the Star Spangled Banner in our country's national anthem. It's in contrast to a, um, a uniquely awful, awful column on Brittany Griner by E.J. Montini in the Arizona Republic. E.J. Montini was defending Brittany Griner for now taking patriotism and her stance on the national anthem as, um, as, uh, as justifiable and to be justified. In fact, he writes, Griner is the perfect example of what it really means to be an American. Really? The perfect example of what it really means to be an American? First of all, violating another country's laws on travel while, you know, second, not participating in the national anthem when you are part of a national basketball or national athletic association. And, you know, for reasons that are anti and ahistorical, for reasons that make no sense whatsoever. As, as Megan McCain put it, um, the national anthem and American flag are not symbols of political parties or ideologies. They are symbols of the American spirit, something we can all appreciate. The country is not, Megan McCain writes, as progressives would have us believe, inherently flawed. America was founded in 1776 when the Second Continental Congress declared the country's independence from the British, and not 1619 when the first slave ships arrived in the colonies. The U.S. Constitution is a dynamic work of genius that enables ordinary people to govern themselves and not an outdated document that requires manipulation by power-hungry elites who think they know best. Americans are not doomed to repeat the errors of our past, but capable of correcting the mistakes of our predecessors. And above all else, America is self-correcting, something Brittany Griner just dispensed with completely and fully. 
completely and fully until it got her to see that other countries don't operate the way we do. And it made no sense that it would have taken an arrest in Russia to see that. She was well-rewarded in America. More well-rewarded, more rewarded in America than almost any American ever will be. Her success here was beyond compare. There was no excuse for her down-market attitude about America, her Colin Kaepernick attitude about America. And tying her patriotism to her own personal circumstances is not patriotism. I understand the notion that we don't just say my country, right or wrong, as was attributed to Stephen Decatur, but the fairest view of our history was said by a senator named Carl Schurz, my country, right or wrong, if right, be kept right, and if be wrong, to be set wrong. That's how we do it here. That is what we do here. Am I going to break? I lost my clock, David. Do I have to go to a commercial break? I do. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Folks, uh, stock market volatility. You heard J.D. talking about it. A possible recession to come. Inflation. We've got bank failures. Why Refi is here with a portfolio and an, inv- an investment in a portfolio that's not tied to the stock market or the Fed. It's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Why Refi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I have. You won't get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. And when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. A due diligence-approved firm, Y-Refi is offering an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Just check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. Dave in surprise. How are you, Dave? I'm so blessed, teacher. How have you been? I am blessed, too. It's nice to hear your voice. It, it's been a long time, and I apologize. I have problems with my communications, and, and I don't know if there's some confusion. I know at one point I tried to uh, get tickets for you and Mr. Prager for your cigar event, but it sold out. So oh, okay. um, I hope I didn't offend anybody at the station. I can't I imagine that you did. I can't imagine. It's all good. I actually haven't called since Bill got promoted, so congratulations to him wherever yes, sir. his uh, path he landed can hear him. You. He so. can hear you. Yes, he is right Oh, here. very good, sir. Very good. Um, so I wanted to talk, if, if we could, a few minutes about the cultural Marxism. You know, we talked about it. It's been three years now since George Floyd, and that was, I think, the start of all of this when we saw the oligarchs kind of take over our whole culture, right? Or, or maybe they had before, and it was just more evident. And, and we realized, some of us realized at that point, that history was the only thing that hadn't been properly written and decided yet, um, much in the vein of 1984, Bird New World and Animal Farm, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just where we are. It just hits us in the face every single day. Uh, it's interesting. It just, you know, yeah, they want to change the present. They want to change the past. They want to do both, and they're doing it at the same time. They tell us what we see with our own two eyes we don't see, 
and that we know what we know about our history we don't know. They're changing the dates. It's right out of 1984. They're changing the dates. Uh, they're destroying the. Uh, they're destroying the documents. <laughs> I mean, you you couldn't. I, 1984 was supposed to be a dystopian novel. Instead, it turned into a how-to manual. I had to take a uh, take a, sh- uh, a break here for the top of the hour news, Dave, and I am sorry. So I tell you what, I've got a guest coming up uh, right now. But if you want to call back at the bottom of the next hour and pursue this a little bit further, we'll give you your full due. Uh, give us a call back uh, in about a half hour or so, and we'll give you we'll give you another uh, another little shot here. Thanks. All right, I'm Seth, and we'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 